The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And now that we're coming to the last 20 minutes of our time together, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, ask any questions you have or if something important you want to say about the day or It'll take a few minutes. I know it's a little difficult transition just to go directly from sitting to asking that, but let's see if there's anything anybody would like to ask. Yes, please. <clears throat> um, I understand why we, it, well, I should say it this way. It's so much easier for me to do this here. If someone gave what? It's so much easier for me to practice here and sort of experience what's happening here when I go out for a walk because there's really not much happening and so I can just sort of let it in. But it's really hard when I'm not here <laughs> to do that and, and it's really it, it, it doesn't take very long for me just to get overloaded and, you know, and then it's just like... <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I just have a feeling you're going to say, well, that's why we practice, but... <laughs> well, that, that's, that was, that's a wise... If I said that, that would have been a wise answer. <laughs> and the... Um, I mean, yeah, so a little bit the, the practice grows over time as you do it. So it's like going to the gym and you develop a strength. And then that strength you can carry with you in places where it's more challenging. And so... Um, it does take time to build up that strength and that capacity and the wisdom and everything. Um, the other is to uh, uh, do do the daily life practice, whether it's meditating at home a little bit every day or whether it's somehow being mindful out and about, uh, to think of doing it in small dosages. It can be overwhelming to think you're supposed to do it all day. Or overwhelming to think you're supposed to now sit every day at home, you know, like just... Um, and, uh, it might be easier to, um, beginning of the week, look at the week and say, um, this week, what's reasonable is I think I can maybe manage two 20-minute sittings. And then you see, where, where could that be? And then, uh, so it's just kind of easy, just slip it in someplace. And, and it's e- sometimes it's better to do it in small dosages where it's easy than it is to have a higher standard that you can't follow through on and then feel bad about yourself. And in daily life, it might be that most of the days of the week, it's going to be hopeless. Might as well go like that. But there on Thursday morning, there's a little space. My boss is not going to be there. Um, you know, and a lot of the coworkers, the difficult ones are going to be out in the meeting someplace. And, and I think I can probably try to try to be a little more mindful for 20 minutes at work, just as I do my work. And so it's small dosages. Look for small places. And then... Uh, start building a repertoire of small places where it's relatively easy and it'll start spilling over. How does that sound? Um, I am, feel like I'm in this phase where um, there's a lot of movement in my meditation and it can be different things like 
um, clenching and un, like noticing the clenching, then unclenching, subtle, and then the like my, my breath will be, can like get like, really a lot of movement in it, and then swaying, and um, so I'm wondering about that, and then I'm also wondering about um, one time I asked a teacher about it and. Um, they said something like, uh, they, they said in, the Buddha said, there's some quote they said, uh, the Buddha said, in movement there's clinging, uh, or, and in stillness there is freedom. I'm, I'm not, do you, I don't know, do you know that quote? No, or, I don't know that no, one, no. don't know that one, nope. okay, well. The, um, um, there's some similar quotes that I know, but I don't know that one particularly. Um, it's fairly common for some people to go through a phase in their practice where their body moves. Uh, swaying is pretty common, twisting. Sometimes it can be sudden jerks. I was uh, sometimes, I remember once when sitting in the monastery with someone next to me, um, all four limbs suddenly jerked and I kind of like, I almost like I popped off my, my cushion. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the guy next to me, I don't know what he thought. So sudden jerks, um, you know, swaying. Sometimes people will, will twist or move in posture and just stay that way for a while. And it seems like, it's like a, so there's a force inside that's pushing you and you do, something happens. Um, and the breathing, you know, is all kinds of things can happen there. I think, the, the, I think the most useful attitude initially is just to see it as a phase of something actually freeing up and something moving through you and working itself out. Some people... Um, have uh, held, held themselves in for a long time and finally something's been releasing, something's purifying, something's uh, uh, readjusting, something's happening. And so I think just take it as a good sign and, and be encouraged by it rather than discouraged and realize you're in that kind of phase. Uh, it's also important not to over-validate it, not to say it's like this is like, wow, this is really good and interesting and you know, I can't wait to go sit at IMC to show people, like, I've reached that phase he talked about, you know. And, and um, you know, and some, sometimes the movements and things uh, uh, actually get fueled or kept going because we're interested in it. And so there's very subtle interest. Even we say, be interested in what you're happening, you know, investigate. But even that can sometimes fuel it. And so you want to be very careful that you're really kind of just very simple and easy with it. And not validating it, but not invalidating it. Taking it as a good sign, something's being purified, but, but you know, just let it be very simple. And then if it continues, uh, there's a variety of things, instructions that can happen around different kinds of movements. So you might talk to a teacher and specify, and, and uh, sometimes it's really to give a lot of freedom to it. And sometimes it's to try to just sit still and not give into it, but bring a lot of attention to where the genesis of the movement is in the body. So a lot of care to bring attention there, but not to, not to give in. A variety of things can go on, but I think for you, for now, just take it as a good sign and let it do its thing and, and uh, see what happens as you just let it uh, take its course for a while. So let's see, how does that sound to you? Occasionally there are people whose movements are, are really kind of so strong that maybe they'd get hurt if they kind of twisted too much this way. So uh, use what wisdom you have, which you have, uh, to, um, you know, just don't do something too extreme.
Sometimes the movements are also a product of concentration. Nothing to do with purification, nothing about release, but certain stages of concentration, it seems like a certain kind of energy gets moved through the body and, and when we move to a deeper level of concentration, it passes. So it's just a, again, it's just a phenomena phase. Great, someone else? I really like the idea of what you trust. You know, this was really enlightening for me today. Uh And um, not during sitting meditation, but during walking meditation, I really realized that what I trust is getting my work done. Mm. Because, like, I would be walking and all of a sudden I'd be lesson planning, you know, Uh and there I was, you know. It was just, it was really interesting to me when I saw it in a way, in that, through that idea of trust. Uh So uh, seeing that, seeing you trust your work and planning your work, uh, did anything shift? Yes, because I really, I thought I have to trust that I will do it when at the appropriate time to do mm. it. Oh, you so you're, until now you're trusting and planning at inappropriate times. Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I thought, you know, I'm going to trust myself that when it's time to do it, it will all get done and... Now I'm going to trust that this is what I'm supposed to do. Great. You know? How lovely. Yeah. Great. So. Thank you. You got the message, this idea of... Very good. Did anybody else... Uh, he, he when you heard, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say he had a question. You, you have a question? Anybody. Yeah. Oh, you want me to take it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, w- one word that popped into my head today was patience. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts were on, on patience and mm, patience. how it relates to the practice. Yeah, patience is good. I think for some people it's the first lesson they have to learn when they meditate. Uh, and it's in, because, because we often live in impatient life and, and often people want results quickly. And, and meditation generally works sl- very slowly. It usually works slower than people want it to. And that's maybe part of the brilliance of meditation because then we have to run into our desires and our wantings and our expectations and we can learn to relax and just be patient, be simple, just be here. So patience is a very important lesson to learn. It's, um, on the other hand, uh, there's two... You asked me what I thought about the word. There are two kinds of patience. There is the patience which is a doing and a patience which is not doing anything at all. So you have two people, both of them in a very trying situation. And they're both like so calm and just look like they're both very patient in this trying situation. But then you get inside of them and see what's going on. And you see the first is just like ready to explode. Like so impatient, so angry, so frustrated by the situation. And they're patient because they're really trying to breathe deeply and accept this and allow this and just not give in to the anger just okay you know and the person's patient you know, by not you know giving in the other person um, the trying situation doesn't push any buttons inside at all it's not a big deal it's like oh you know it's the kids are screaming the tires flat you know I'm late for work you know and well I'll see what I can do. I trust that I'll do the best I can and get there. And you know, and I don't, but I don't have to get you know, not get rallied or riled up by it. 
And so the goal is not to have a patience which is a doing, but have a, a patience which is a kind of a non-doing because our buttons don't get pushed. Does that make sense? Earlier this morning, you were speaking to a bunch of us about uh, walking meditation, and you said something like, mindfulness sometimes seems uh, sort of an unfortunate translation. Oh, yes. So I wondered if you could talk about that a little more. So the Pali word for, the Buddhist, ancient Buddhist word for mindfulness is sati. And there's nothing in that word that has mind in it. And so about the 1880s, when translators are translating these texts into English, um, I mean, in the 1800s, they were trying all kinds of words. But in 1880 or so, there was an English gentleman who um, settled on mindfulness. And he had a big impact, and so he translated things, and that became kind of the primary way in which it's been uh, translated since then. And he was influenced a little bit by, or quite a bit by, um, the King James Bible, and mindfulness is a kind of a religious word there, and he, since Buddhism is religious, he wanted a religious word to kind of, you know, give some religious credentials to his translation, I guess, or something. And so there's nothing in the word that has mindfulness in it, has mind in it. And so, um, I mean, my, mindfulness is a kind of a mental f- phenomena. So you, it's okay to say mind. But what happens to many people when they hear the word mind, um, it prioritizes a certain kind of intellectual activity, and certain kind of mental activity, which is not so useful for this practice. Sometimes it, 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 uh, it takes the form of uh, reinforcing this, uh, a certain kind of uh, overly dualistic separation between body and mind, some kind of like I'm in the control tower where I'm supposed to control. It can reinforce the me, the I, that's the one who knows, the one that's aware of doing, doing this, the agent who's doing it. And, uh, and it can lead to such things as a headache in doing mindfulness. <laughs> and uh, it can lead to a lot of doing, and mindfulness becomes a doing thing. Um, uh, you know, I've done a fair amount of research on uh, the word sati in the suttas themselves. And um, I don't know how much you know about this kinds of stuff. It's just kind of for people who have studied it. But uh, I think that uh, a better, more appropriate translation of the word sati into English is awareness, not mindfulness. And in popular America, you know, secular mindfulness movement, they have the word mindfulness and they say they're translating sati. And, you know, they've made it secular. But um, what they're offering is mindfulness. And what many of the teachers here offer as mindfulness is better translated by a different word in the suttas called sampajana. And often those sati and sampajana are, are taught together by the Buddha. But one has to do with clear comprehension and the other is awareness. And sati is awareness. And some of the activities that we do with awareness in doing sati is we abide in awareness, we establish awareness, we enter awareness. And uh, so it's more like a state and uh, it's awareness, the, the sati is more a state of heightened awareness that we rest in than it is a, an active, ongoing n- noting, awareness, recognition of what's there. And the relationship between the recognition, the knowing of what's happening, and the resting of awareness is part of the art of this practice. And both are important, both have a role. And so the word mindfulness 
tends to wait, 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 thought tends to over-prioritize the noting, the the recognition, the cognitive aspect of it, and uh, it's the over-prioritizing of it which is the it can be the, the problem. And um, so, how do we have how do we have the cognitive sides of this practice with the awareness side in balance? The other th- reason I, I, I'm reluctant is that uh, be, um, by overemphasizing the mind. Uh, we overlook that Buddhist practice historically, down through the centuries, puts a tremendous amount of emphasis on the body. Training with the body, be, taking your body along. The body is not like this extra appendage you bring along for your mind, but a lot of the training happens through the body. And learning to um, be aware through the body is a really powerful way of learning to be free, to open up, to take in all the information that's here, and also a way to learn not to, it's easier to learn not to be too caught up in self, in, in uh, self-agency. If we're learning to kind of trust the body and drop down into the body and let the awareness almost rise up out of the body rather than be in the control tower. So sensing, feeling the body, being in the body is very important. So for all those reasons is why I said that maybe unfortunately we translated sati as mindfulness. But we're stuck with it. So one more, and then we'll stop. Mm-hmm. So we talk about you're in your head. <clears throat> Does that translate as being overly in the control tower? Well, I think it went, the way that the expression is used colloquially, like, oh, he's so much in his head. I think what they mean, the person is kind of so much caught up in their thinking and their thoughts and abstractions and concepts and and uh, not really kind of into the bigger picture and, um, you know, not really in their body, not in their feelings, but kind of lost in an abstract world. And that means, I think that's how they use it colloquially, but I don't know in, in your, your neighborhood. Well, it seems too either or to say that you're in your head because everybody feels their sensations. They feel like, you know, when they have to urinate or when they're thirsty. Or when they're really loud, yes. But there are people who, there are people who feel very little below their neck, okay. for example. And, uh, and, the, and even those people who are in their head a lot, I mean, they can, they can take care of their life and maybe have a sensual, you know, sense life that's quite full. But it doesn't, you know, all you have to do is to bring up a name of a politician and then they're in their head and they're ready to tell you their opinions and their views and their stories and you know or some people like to tell you some historical event in their life biographical event and they're like in their met, you know and you can you can watch some people you talk some occasionally like every occasionally I'll see someone and they're telling me something and it's like I could go like that in front of their eyes I feel like and just like I'm here are you there you know their, their eyes are open but you can see their eyes are kind of like they're, they're like lost in their story you know and, you know, so they're kind of in their head in a sense, right? So I think I think it's it's it doesn't have to see it either or, but it's it's kind of like a relative. You know, the person's really a lot in their head. The person knows they have to pee, but boy, you know. So I think it's that. So I'll end with this little thing. Um, if you know, forty years ago, someone had asked me, Gil, uh, where where is awareness for you? I would have pointed to my head. And then about, uh, after doing about 10 years of Buddhist practice or so, someone had asked me, where are you aware? I would have pointed to my heart. 
And then after another 10 or so years of Buddhist practice, someone asked me, where's awareness? Uh, I would have gone like this. It's everywhere. It's not even localized here in this body. And the head disappears. So, um, thank you for today. I appreciated sitting here with you. And I was struck by the early morning, the first sitting, how quiet it was in here. And uh, that set kind of a tone for me. Of, of in some ways, I did less teaching. I usually do here, less guided meditation. It's, it felt really nice to sit quietly. And I hope that served you. And what I did say, I hope that was supportive of you and of the day. And um, it's the custom here that, that, or the practice here at IMC, that the, it's all run by volunteers, which means that all the cleaning of the place is done by the people who practice here. And the end of the day, we take uh, about seven people volunteer for about 10, 15 minutes to stay behind and do some of the basic tidying up, the bathrooms and the floors, the kitchen, the trash. Um, are there seven people who can stay for 10, 15 minutes? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, great. And uh, you can talk to Alfonso, he's the manager, so he, he knows the basic what needs to be done and you check in with him and you can let him know what you're gonna do or what you'd like to ask him for something. And, um, and then uh, it's also a custom in Buddhism to dedicate the merit. And the merit is a great thing. Um, and because uh, the only th- uh, way the Buddha ever defined merit uh, is as happiness. Merit is happiness. And then later in Buddhism, it became a kind of magical and kind of like, you know, there's this tablet up in the sky that keeps track of all your good and bad merit and adds it all up at some point. But uh, it's just basically uh, things that are uh, happy or things that make you, things that benefit you. And so you take all the ways that you've been benefited by the practice you've been doing and you consider that those benefits And you say, may these benefits also serve others. May it somehow translate through me, so it's not just stay with me, these benefits, but may these benefits help me become a person who benefits the world. So that's what the dedication of merit means. So may whatever benefit that we've had here today from practicing together, as we leave here, may we consider how that benefit might support the people we encounter on the roads, driving to our homes, um, places of work, our neighborhood, our friends, that somehow may this also support them in their lives. Life is difficult. It's great if this practice of ours can help make life easier for others as well. So thank you all very much and um, hope to see you again for a day long. <laughs>